Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Well, hello, Evan Schulte. Hello, Brandon Colby. Cook. <laughs> well, that was a weird start. Um, so today is topical, Evan. Yep. It is topical, meaning that we have a topic we're coming in with. Also, it was kind of unavoidable, mostly because of what I've been dealing with in my own personal life. Yep. Which may or may not come up. Which uh, makes it great material for us to mine though. Yeah. That's how we like to do it. So I always like to, you know, I do. I always like to bring something a little personal. Yeah. I feel it's important because I feel like there's a lot of heady ideas that I have about stuff that I maybe read or gathered or heard, but then there's something about the timeliness of these talks because, you know, it's like, I'm going through it right now. Let's, yeah. let's, let's open that bag of worms, you know, yeah. and, and see what happens. And it's great because it's real. Yeah. It's real. Then it's real. So the, the topic today, if you haven't read the title yet is the art of rising above societal pressure. So what does that mean? It means that in this world, in this society we live in, there are certain pressures to be and do and have certain things that may not actually align with what you care and value. And, you know, also if you're an artist, uh, more than ever, you're probably going to experience this at some point in your journey, if you stay with artistry. And so I think, um, you know, for me, just in my current kind of juncture in my life, I'm definitely facing a new version of societal pressure. And I feel I'm, I've recently kind of faced the, I think I've almost I I don't know. You never really know, but I feel like I faced one of the biggest demons of it for me personally at this time in my life. Yeah. You know, it's the, the, it's the demon of you're at a certain age, you should have certain things. Your life should look a certain way. And if it doesn't, maybe you're doing everything wrong and you've totally messed it all up. Yeah. And it's time to completely throw away everything. Yeah. Throw away everything that you've ever dreamed of doing. It's time to just become a cog in the machine. Yes. Well, so, um, if you've been listening to past podcasts, I think it was the last podcast we did. I talked about how I was putting my script aside to go help my dad. Right. Now my dad and I, I talk a lot about him on the podcast. I give him a lot of tribute and a lot of recognition, but you know, my dad also has never really been a fan of my artistry. He's never really been much of a supporter of it. It's always been, uh, you know, a head to head kind of, you know, challenge for us. And I think what's happened in my later years, I've stuck with it for so long. He really, it's like, I'm a dog on a bone with it. He just realizes that it's like been, okay, he's not going to let go of this thing. Yeah. And, um, and now he, some time has gone by and he feels like, yeah, you know, and I've been asserting really, it. Yeah. And, and just, you know, I, I'll put it out there. I don't, I don't have any skeletons in the closet. You know, like for me, I'm an open book as much as, as much as I can be. I didn't talk to my dad for three years, you know, and I, you know, and, and if anybody listens to the podcast and they've been following my story, you know, here's a little bit of a, uh, TSN turning point. There was a point <laughs> where my, I was going to drive down to LA 
and there was a lot of other stuff going on. I was pursuing my acting. I was going full out for it. And my dad was very against that. You know, he figured I was making a big mistake and all this, whatever. And, um, events occurred. Doesn't matter about the details of it, but we got in a phone call and he basically, he basically kind of like tried to give me an ultimatum. Now, if anybody knows anything about me, they're going to find out that you give me an ultimatum, you might as well just, you know, hang yourself because like it's over. Like I'm I'm never going to, like, I'll never back down. Like your ultimatum means zero in zilch to me. It doesn't matter who it's from, but he essentially went to say like, I'm going to disown you. And I told him on the phone, I said, you know what? You're always fucking doing this. I'm going to LA basically go fuck yourself. And you know, you know, and, and it was one of those calls where it's like, you can call me back because what you did was fucked. And it wasn't for, took him three years to come back around. Yeah. And then since then I've been repairing the relationship and it's hard for me as a son, right? Because the thing is, is that there's a part of me that wants to stand my own ground and live my own life. There's another part of me that loves my dad. So to take those three years and not, you know, do that, there was a part of it. I go, okay, is this pride? You know, is it a pride thing or is it, I'm standing my own ground. And that was a battle I had throughout it all. Whatever took my time away. We've been rebuilding the relationship in many ways. Yeah. We've built a lot of bond, but now what's happened is we've kind of gotten into this comfort zone, you know, this kind of like, well, I think he feels like he can kind of go back to old ways and kind of tell me a little bit about what he thinks I should do. And it's kind of interesting because he actually gave me a massive gift because of his creating some adversity and kind of, um, inappropriately, in my opinion, kind of arguing against my art and my dream, right. Actually helped me remind myself why it's so important to me to want to do it. Um, so regardless of all that, this kind of come up and, and he knows that I've been going through a little bit of this societal pressure stuff about, you know, like there's other kids that, you know, uh, I grew up with who have, you know, they've made a bunch of money. They bought their house. They got married. They did all this stuff. And it looks like their life looks really like they did it. And then, you know, for myself, I mean, single live alone, not a house owner, house renter, you know, still driving a shitty little car, but you know what? It kind of hit me and I realized I'm like, yeah, but I get up every day and I, and I create and I do what I want to do. And I, you know, for me, I'm not saying that, that, that whatever, everyone buying their house and doing all this, I think it's all good stuff. I still want to do all that stuff. But the thing is, it's not at the price of giving up actually living my life and experiencing my life the way I want. So, you know, this is the interesting thing. And this is the topic I want to bring up because the, I'm not just saying, I'm not putting it all on my dad either. He's just kind of the catalyst. The societal yeah. pressure is coming from people who don't even know they're, they're, they're putting societal pressure on me. In fact, it's me looking out in the world and going, maybe my life should look like that and not like this. Yeah. And you know, and, and, and just kind of this battle. And so this is what I want to kind of bring to the table. This is what I've been dealing with. I feel like I've kind of hit a, an interesting precipice with this period. And yeah. so, yeah, well, let's venture. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, it's, I, I think for artists, this is such, this is such a, 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 very relevant and can be very vulnerable topic as well, because, you know, the, uh, 
the arts are always like, you know, when it comes to, you know, when there's budget cuts going down like in the, in the school system or in the, the community programs, it's always the arts. Yeah. It's always the arts. Like they're, they're treated in a very disposable way. Like they don't matter yet. We know that the arts are actually the thing that withstand the test of time. Mm-hmm. You know, like when we look back at history, we look at the paintings, the music, the, you know, the arts, like we, that's what we, we go to. Um, the artists speak of the time, the artists mm. speak of, of the bigger things. And, um, but yeah, it's, it, it constantly, it's, it's, uh, artists are in a place of, of not quite fitting in with what, with what most people's lives look like to a large degree, you know? Um, and the thing is, I, I think a lot of when people, and for you, I mean, it comes from your dad and for a lot of people, I'm sure you can understand my, my parents have always been super supportive of me and I'm really thankful of, for that. Like from the moment I said, I wanted to be an actor, they said, great, like, mm-hmm. you know, we'll get you in some classes. And then, and, and there was never, um, any sort of doubt planted on me from them. I remember my godfather had doubts about it mm-hmm. and like never said them, said them to me, but said them to my own dad you know, and my dad even stood up for me to, to my godfather and mm-hmm. said like, well, Hey, listen, like, well, I'm going to tell him not to do what he loves to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to do that. Like that's, that's crazy. Right. Um, but for a lot of people, they don't necessarily have that support or there's somebody, you know, who, whether they say it or not, you know, sometimes there's just people who you get that sense from them or close to you that they just like, they're, they're afraid for you. Yeah. Because everybody kind of knows that the path of an artist is a little bit different. It, it's not, doesn't have a lot of guarantees to it. There's not necessarily a lot of security in being an artist. Um, which is why, uh, they say it's like, if you, if you get into being into an artistic field, like you've got to be addicted to it. Like it's got to be like an addiction in order for you to make it through it just because yeah, it's, it has its unique set of challenges that come along with it. Um, can I say something about addiction? Is that here's what I think. And you know, I switched, I dropped out of, I dropped out of film and I went into psychology and I studied and focused mostly on social psychology and social elements and, and, and psychology of people and just society and how it all works has been a fascinating topic to me. The one addiction that we have in North America, and I am absolutely 100% believe that we are addicted to materialistic things, material items. It's, it's like we, but we don't, we're so addicted, like to the point where we can't even fathom the idea of not having the things that we have. And like, we don't realize that maybe you live in your apartment, right? You live in your house, whatever it might be. Now take out all the furniture, no couches, no beds, no whatever. Maybe you got a blanket and a pillow and a mat to lay on. That's what you got. Yeah. Okay. Can you live? Of course you can. You got a roof over your head. You know, you got some shelter. You got maybe a a set of clothes, whatever. The thing is, is that 
we have so much addiction to things. It's not like you can't just have one pair of shoes. You need many pairs of shoes and you need many different types of pairs of shoes and a certain kind and a certain kind and from a certain brand, from a certain company. And you don't think this is an addiction, right? Okay. So here's, here's what I'm saying. The reason why you got to be addicted to the art is because you need to have more of an addiction to your value and what's important Mm. to you than you do to some material bullshit. Yeah. Cause like, what do I like, you know, and this is the thing that I'm coming to is like, I go, uh, do I want a nice pair of shoes or do I want to live and do something that's really important to me? Yeah. Cause you know what? Shoes wear out, but you know, experiences and doing life, that stuff, that, and that creativity and expression, not that's, even the that's, memory that's endless. It's the, it's the fact you did it. It informs you for the rest of your life. You know, so many guys, here's an example. So many guys, they're going to get a nice car, dress nice, do all this stuff, figure out all the shit to talk to a woman. Go say fucking hi to her. That's it. You know what I mean? Skip, like if you didn't care so much about your muscles and your, and your clothes and what you drove and what you owned, and you were just a real human being and you said hello to somebody, you would be surprised. Now, you know what? If they're yeah. super materialistic and they're going to look down on you for that, now, what, what's going to happen if two addicts get together? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. But most people aren't, is it like, yes, the thing is, is that we're addicted, but we're unknowingly addicted. We're not aware of it. Once we were, well, because it's normal, it's normal. It's, we it's we a, don't know, right? It's yeah. an innocent thing. It's like yeah. when people smoked before they knew smoking caused cancer, like there was an innocence that now you're just defiant. Fine. You want to be defiant. You know, you're defiant. That's fine. But you can't deny the fact this shit causes cancer. You know, yeah. you don't think materialism has bad effects too you might not be aware of that. So it doesn't seem like a bad thing. That's fine. But what I think what happens is we get caught up in it. And I think you raise a really good point. You almost got to be more addicted to what your values are in your art than you are to the things that you think you can build. Well, I think that was actually your point. Was it? You know, well, I mean, I had said the point that you've got to be addicted to it, but you've, you raised the point of you've got to be more addicted to it than, than the sort of the societal addiction to, you know, material and, um, notoriety and appearances and, you know, all of these types of things. And I mean, you just, you look at, like, I, I've referenced this before. There's a, a a writer. He was also like a, um, like a pastor or something, but he wrote some stuff. His name's uh, Frederick Buchner. Mm. And he has this, he wrote this terrific piece on, on art and saying like, you know, like in, a world that has rejected so much of spirituality. It's like art is one of the only places left where we can talk about holy things. And I think not, and holy that has a weird, for some people that has a lot of connotations to it, but what he means through his use of the word is like, it's the, it's one of the only places where we talk of real things. You know, we talk about things that really matter Hmm. underneath all of the, all of the shit. Um, which is, I think why it's almost vital, why actors or, or artists or musicians, why artists have to face this challenge because it's the way that we could, it's, it's a way of gaining perspective on things. Mm. Um, and, and it can be difficult and it can test us. Um, but I mean, it's, which is why I think it, it is, it's so important. And as you said it, that we have an addiction to what we're doing as artists to an addiction to creativity in addition to our art, 
because there is something, and this is another point I want to raise too, is that most, I don't know what word to use, normies, well, maybe say normies. <laughs> no, most people um, who aren't in the arts or don't at least have some kind of a, of a, of a creative outlet, you know, like there's lots of people who it's like, you know, they work normal nine, nine to fives, but they have some sort of a, of a creative artistic thing that they do still, because I think it's an important thing to have or like a passion um, or a passion. Yeah. But there are, um, a lot of people who don't necessarily have that. who don't have that expression in their lives and they've really bought into the, the society that, you know, they've been brought up into and it's very material and it's an an image and, you know, all of, all of these kind of superficial things. And they don't have any concept of necessarily what's so appealing about what you do. Mm -hmm. I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. It's like, like some people just don't have any perspective on it. Some people don't understand what it's like to be in the creative process to be in like an extraordinary moment of, of inspiration Mm -hmm. and creation where something is just happening Mm -hmm. and you're a part of it in the moment and you just feel so fucking alive Mm. for doing it. There's a lot of people who just don't understand that. They don't understand the, like they, they don't even know it exists. They don't know the feeling. They don't know the experience of it. So it's like they're so clearly they can't have any sense of value over something that they've never had before. That's a really good point. It's a really, I, I, it's, I thought it might be a decent one. No, it's a really good point. I mean, it puts some things in perspective because, you know, I think a lot of times people are, um, you know, they're not fulfilled in their life. And so they're going to just buy the next thing and, and, and try to get the next status and, and, and get the, you know, get that partner, get that house, get that car, get that stuff, you know? And so, that's their way of trying to, you know, and, you know, for a little period in my life, you know, I went through a little bit of a materialistic kind of stage where I was buying like lots of DVDs and, and, and Blu-rays and things like that. And I was kind of, and what I found as I went through it was that, you know, there's a a certain kind of like, it was like a drug, you know, it's kind Mm -hmm. of like, Oh, I got, I got you know, I remember it started with getting like one DVD felt pretty good. And then yeah. it was like, nah, that needs to be two. And then there was days where I was going there and I was buying like a whole like basket of like DVDs. Granted, they were like kind of off sale DVDs, but just getting the stuff, yeah. you know? And it was always like a temporary feel good, you know? And I think what happens is like when you're not really driving joy from, from your life and from just doing it and being in it, you kind of look for things to, to try to get those experiences. Yeah. I mean, the thing that, the thing that I keep kind of coming back to every lesson I keep learning and we kind of keep talking about it on podcasts in certain ways, but I just keep thinking like, I'm this animated being of life and light and curiosity and, and wonder, and I can go explore and I can just do whatever I want, like whenever I want. And, and it's, it's incredible mm-hmm. just the fact that that exists, but it's like, you know, the reason why I personally think I lose sight of that is I get caught up in the societal pressures. I get caught up into like, well, maybe I should be driving the nice sports car. Maybe I need the big house. Maybe I need all this stuff. And like, 
I want to just say this one thing. I don't think that things are bad and it's not in, and it's, I want to have, yeah. I want to have nice stuff. I just want it because there's probably somebody who's, who's in there, but yeah, but it's like, you're just saying that cause you can't have nice things. No, have nice things. Drive the nicest car, live in the nicest house, do all the nicest stuff. If you really enjoy the, the aesthetic beauty of what we can do in this world and you're really driving a lot of value out of that, of course do it. But the thing is, is it's when the material becomes the meaning, it becomes some type of status, some type of fulfillment, some type of whatever. I mean, I've lived in a mansion and I've lived in a trailer park. I've done both sides. I think if anybody can speak on this, I think I have a certain amount of an authority on this one thing. I can tell you this. It's really nice to live in a mansion and be able to eat the nicest food every night. You know, what's actually not that bad living in a trailer park, eating a peanut butter sandwich with your dad on the deck. Cause you never saw him as a kid. Cause the entire time he was working, trying to make money to support you. And he didn't realize that spending some time with you was worth so much more than any nice steak we could bring home for dinner. Yeah. Cause it meant being alone. So like the thing is, is like, this is the thing we, we kind of lose sight of. We get caught up in materialism and at the cost of something. That's why materialism is bad. It's at the cost of something that's actually more important, like our relationships and our self kind of, uh, I don't know, honor, like honoring our own values. If it is at the cost of that, it becomes bad. But having nice things in general is good just not at the cost of if you lose all your relationships and and you burn all these bridges and you end up alone and Scrooge, right? Like who cares if you have all the stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think that like both of us, like we want artists to be successful. Mm -hmm. You know, we want artists to, to make, you know, a good living or to be, or, or to be wealthy. Yeah. Even it's like, that's great. These are all great things. Um, but it's like, that's not necessarily a reality for a lot of, of artists. Um, especially when you're, when you're first getting, cause first, I mean, you've got to figure out this whole thing about art first. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it that, that you're even doing? Like, what is it even that this this thing is that you're creating? What's its purpose? What is your purpose? Where do you fit within that? You know, why is that important to you? Like there's all of these things that go into being an artist. I, I even like would assert in my opinion that like artists are actually kind of mystics in a way. They're like artists are in a form of mysticism in, in a way. Um, and so it's like, it's becoming to like understand what that is and how you do that. Hmm. Like that's a, that's a fucking hell of a challenge in and of itself. And then after you figured that out and okay, Oh now how do I do this? And you know, how do I find a way to work in the world that I'm in? Hmm. How do I do this thing? But also keep a roof over my head. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and then beyond that and say like, well, but then how do I have like, you know, uh, 
a few comforts, a few things, you know, like how can I just like not be uh, completely financially limited in my life mm-hmm. um, for, for this path. And I don't know if there's an, e- I, there's no easy answer for that really. Um, but I think all my point is, is that being successful is a good thing. And we're not discouraging people from that and saying that like having stuff is bad. Um, having stuff is great, but it's having a sense of priority and a sense of importance over what these things can and cannot give you. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think being connected to that, um, having an understanding of that helps you in the long run. (coughs) Excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it also too, it's like with, with artistry, it's like, you know, artistry can, doesn't, doesn't mean that you have to commit like 100% of your life to being like, like everything you do needs to be artistic. Artistry yeah. doesn't need to exist 24 seven in your life in the sense that you're always doing artist things. I mean, yeah. like if you, if you carve out of your life, say, you know, even if it's five minutes, even if it's a minute, whatever, but if you carve five, 10, 15, 30 minutes, an hour out of your life every day, and you do something that you're passionate about creatively, you, you in many ways are an artist. You know, it's, you know, some people who are, who may be listening, you know, you're down that road. Now you're down that road. You have the house, you have the, 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 the partner, you have the children, you have the career, you have all this stuff. You have a lot of responsibilities. You set your life up that way. You, you, you did the, you did the thing. Yeah. And the thing is, is that if you're listening to this and you, and you're interested in any of this artistry stuff, you're going, well, you know, um, maybe you're even considering like thinking, well, did I do it wrong? Well, no, not, no, not necessarily. You know, it's amazing thing to, to be responsible and raise children and, and, and buy a house and build your, accumulate your equity and your wealth and all of this stuff. Yeah. Right. But the thing is, is that you don't need to subjugate yourself to doing everything right is, is kind of what it is. I think materialism is like an aspect of this because I think we've been focusing on that, but I think it's also kind of like, I'm looking at all my peers and what are they doing? Like that's another aspect of it. It's like image and, and then it's status and image. It's like ego. It's like, well, am I less than because I own less or have less or whatever? And then we derive value out of a lot of things like materialism and how we fit in society. I think the thing that makes an artist really interesting is that an artist who really kind of like goes and and owns that shit, they are willing to not fit society like the cookie cutter model. And that's hard in certain ways. But I think what happens is it rewards you a certain amount of freedom and a certain amount of self-expression. I think if you spend your entire life trying to fit in, trying to be accepted and be liked and, and, and be okay and not cause any trouble, I, I think that you die very early in life. I, I really do. Like yeah. I, okay, I'm not going to share who this is, but I know a man, very wealthy, like very extremely wealthy. His greatest pain. And he's talked to psychiatrists and stuff like this is they're like, well, you're so like, why are you unhappy? You're so successful. You have all this stuff. What, what more do you want? And all he ever really wanted to do was sail around the world, Mm. but it goes against, he has to give up things. 
Yes. You know, and so it's like, you never eat, like, here's the thing. Yeah. He may never sail around the world. Is that not death? Is that not the death right there? And yet, why do you need to do the thing? Why do you need to do all this stuff? What is your money and your wealth and your success worth? If the thing that's the most important to you, you never do life's short. It's going to be over. And you know, we can find all sorts of ways to justify not doing the thing that we really truly want to do. And so I just look at that and I go, you know, it, 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 it's to me, my heart breaks a little bit. I look at that and I go, I don't ever want to get to a place in my life where I go, you know, there was something I really wanted to do in my life. And I just, I just was I too afraid. I was too afraid. I didn't do it. Cause, cause whatever reason, so-and-so reason. And it's a lot of these societal pressures are what hold this in place. Like society is an interesting thing, but it can be a dream killer. Yeah. And that's kind of what this conversation is about. We need to figure out how to work as a whole. We need to figure out how to work as a group. We need to figure out how to, you know, sort our way through traffic, wait in line for coffee. We need to do these basic things, but come on, come on, everybody. We learned that in grade two. Yeah. Right. Probably kindergarten. Really. I mean, kids are pretty smart. We figured that out. Line up, wait your turn, you know, create some order, whatever. That's easy, right? You got that shit down. Now, you know, be considerate, like think of order as consideration. But after that, when you're, when it's you, you know, you want to go do something, go do something, you know? And if you don't like, if you, if your life's too rule bound and too fitting in, you know, look at what are your options to break the mold, you know? Um, because I think this is the thing. I think what, what happens is, you know, and, and this is coming up more and more. The stats are outstanding. And we already talked about this on podcast. Depression is an epidemic right now in North America, literally an epidemic. So many people are depressed. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And here's the thing is that it's starting to come to light. People are reporting it now, but like so many people haven't reported it. People are doing all sorts of little like clown dance tricks to, to, to dodge their depression and just not feel anything. And they're, and meanwhile, they're drinking and they're smoking and they're doing all this stuff to mask the or feeling, medicating themselves yeah, or taking and, pills or whatever. Yeah. And so now like, now you go, okay, well, what, what are my alternatives? I stopped drinking, smoking and taking these pills. Uh, you know, I stopped, maybe even your addiction is watching TV or porn or something. It yeah. doesn't matter. There's some way in which you cover what you do. Now, the alternative is you stop that for a little bit. And now you have to face what's really going on. That's why people can't quit smoking. That's why people can't quit things like drinking and stuff because the alternative is not just quitting this thing that's bad for you. It's also what comes up when you quit it. The feelings you you've been able to cover every time you take a smoke break, just check in. Are you feeling something? It's probably that feeling you're trying to mend. Now take away the smoke. It's not the smoke. That's the problem. It's that the feeling doesn't have a cover now. It's exposed. So smoking is like this, like people talk about, Oh, the nicotine is addicting. It isn't what's addicting. It's that we are scared shitless to face ourselves, to face our vulnerability. That's my belief. You know, you can disagree with me. People can, but I would be willing to bet every time you go sit down and watch TV, check in. Is it because I'm trying to avoid a feeling? Is it because I, you know, I don't want to face what's really inside here. Anytime 
There's so much stuff. There's just so much stuff we do to just avoid how we feel. And that's just, that's the thing is we live in a society where we buy stuff to feel better. So why do you oh, think, yeah. why do you think depression's an epidemic? I mean, we've been learning our whole life to, that, and, and society enforces it. It's weird. Our friends enforce it without knowing it because everybody's thinking, oh, well, that's what you do. You get together, you drink, you buy stuff, you, you watch TV, you do all this stuff. And I'm and granted, I'm drinking a beer right now. I'm loving the beer. I'm loving the beer, but I'm not drinking the beer. We could put the beer down. We don't have to drink any beer. It'd be fine. Yeah. You know, but if I need the beer problem, right? Yeah. You know, why do I need the beer? Right. If I don't have, if I, you know, like they could take anything away. Like I, I, I've done this test personally, and this is the last thing I'm going to say on this little rant here, but you could take anything away pretty much, you know, and every other thing I'll work it. But like you could take alcohol away forever. It's not allowed in society anymore. I could live. I'd be fine. Take away television. I'll be fine. I've done it. I went for, I've done this twice. I've gone for a year without watching any TV or movies or whatever. And being in the film industry, that's fucking hard. Yeah. I did it. And I, and I, and as I went through it, I'm like, I could go without. The only reason why I started getting, you know, and catching up and watching more was because I needed to talk about it. And I needed to have those reference points with people because I'm in the film industry and it's more in many ways to be well-versed in my medium because people would mention a show and I hadn't seen it or a movie and I had no reference yeah. or some, I was trying to explain something to someone and I couldn't reference a movie that was modern. So I was like, Oh wow. Like, okay. So this is one of those things where it's like, if I want to do this, that's part of my homework. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but it's fine. But like, you know, we need to check in with this stuff. And also because like, you know, you maybe do really enjoy it. I also, enjoy you know, it. like, it's yeah. like, if you really enjoy it. It's like, yeah great. Fantastic. You know, but there's, um, there's a point where, where anything, you know, too much of a good thing, right? It's, it's, we're meant to do lots of different things, Mm -hmm. you know, like we're, we're wired for doing a variety of things. And it's not about saying like, you know, cause nothing I think is inherently, well, I mean, some things I think are not necessarily constructive, but I mean, most of like, like we've been saying, there's nothing inherently bad about necessarily stuff. There's nothing inherently bad about having a drink, you know, unless you're an alcoholic, that would be a bad thing. There's nothing inherently wrong with watching TV or eating a cheeseburger or like, you know, but it's like too much TV too much alcohol, too many cheeseburgers. It's like, yeah, that's a problem. It becomes a problem at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I like about your perspective is I'll go on a rant and I'll get kind of, I get kind of like serious and get, I get a little tunnel vision on my rant, but, I, but you always help bring a little perspective to it. Like, like I'm talking about TV, right? And like people could hear that I'm saying, Oh, all TV's bad, but you go, yeah, but you could enjoy it. And I want to keep reminding people that like, if I go on a rant, it's not like I'm saying the thing is bad, you know, especially around materialism and and addiction or, or like whatever the thing, your activity you like, that's not bad. Eating a cheeseburger. Yeah. I don't think that's bad. Maybe some people do whatever. That's their ethical thing maybe, but you know, watching some TV, watching a movie, spending a lot of time doing it. It's all good. You know, but the thing is, is that it's about this inner honesty. It's about our, um, not like just like, what I would hope is that people get in touch with how they 
what their truth, their real values. Um, and you, you have a good way of helping remind people that what they're doing isn't necessarily bad. Cause I don't want people to think that either. Yeah. I don't want people thinking going out and buying a nice new pair of shoes is a bad thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. Just not buying the shoes because you're like, man, I don't feel good. So I'm going to buy a sh- pair of shoes. I don't need yeah. just to feel better. That might not be good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a bandaid and maybe you need it. Maybe that's going to help you get through the day. Cause otherwise you're jumping off a bridge. Okay. You know what? If buy that's what shoes. you needed, buy the fucking shoes. <laughs> yeah. shit, you know what I mean? <laughs> but like for the most part, we're not like suicidal every day. You know, most of us. So if, if that's not, if you know, but if you know, like, like there's days where I'm like, fuck man, I don't want to get up at all. I'm just like, I'm feeling down, but I'm like, you know what? What do I want right now? If I want anything, I want to sleep, but I also want a coffee. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to walk down the street. I'm going to get a coffee. That's all I'm going to do today. And yeah. then once I get the coffee and I'm like up and I'm kind of walking, I get some fresh air. I start to go, you know what? I could walk maybe around the block a little bit. I'll go do that. My, all of a sudden I started to get in a little bit of a, like, I'm just kind of trusting that a little bit. And, and it all started with like just the want for a coffee maybe. Right. Yeah. And like that little comfort can be, can be a great spark, you know? So I want to just say that like, sometimes, you know, you want some ice cream because that'll make you feel better today. That'll, that'll give you enough uh, fuel in the tank to start the engine. Go get some fucking ice cream. You know, my, my, (laughs) my first piece of advice, like always for people who it's like, if they're feeling like, you know, like in a rut is just like, get out of the house. Yeah. Take a walk, like take a walk and get out of the house. Mm. That's like the first thing, like go for half an hour minimum minimum half an hour, get out of the house. Don't care where you go. Yeah. Just like be outside. Usually it's enough. Yeah. You're you're right. I mean, just some practical advice. You're in a rut, take a walk. It's like so overlooked because it seems too simple to be effective, but change your environment, change your environment. Like I know, like it's, it's what I'll do. I'll just tell like, if, if I feel myself like in a row and be like, Oh, I just need to get out of the house. Yeah. I'll just get up. And that's not a bad addiction to have. No, that's good. That's like a mindfulness. That's, that's like, like a, yeah, it is. It's more of a mindfulness. Cause it's not like I'm escaping from anything. I'm still with myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not doing anything to cover it, but it's like, usually it's a walk, some fresh air. It just helps you gain some perspective. And I think that's really what we're trying to give people here. And when we're talking about these things, like it's about putting some things into perspective. It's like, there's nothing wrong with all these things per se, you know, there's nothing wrong, but when it becomes the sole reason for doing something, then it becomes a problem. Right. If it, if it's to, if it's to escape something, to avoid something, it becomes a problem. If it is, you know, if you are doing what you're doing, just maybe for the money or for what it can get you, that might be a problem, Hmm. you know, because like you think of like how society works. Like if you look at some of it, it's like, no, these were, there's some good ideas that are underneath right? a lot of it. You know, it's like having a partner is great. Like for, for myself, having a partner is like, this is a person who lovingly reflects myself back to me you know, who, who kindly shows me where like I can like be better as a human being. 
You know, like there's something to be gained from that kind of a relationship with somebody. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, having a house, having a family. I mean, those are things that like, I mean, I live in a, in a house, but (laughs) I don't own a house, but, and I don't have any kids or anything, but you know, I can, I can understand there's a certain value to these things, you know, to doing these things in your life as for having like a job. Well, you know, you think about what a job began as, you know, like when people started having these roles, it was like you were contributing something to society. You were fulfilling a need that people had. Mm -hmm. And I think to a degree people have lost, actually I won't say to a degree, to a large substantial degree. (laughs) (laughs) A substantial degree. I just need to add an adjective to it. Um, People have, most of us have, have lost that sense of contribution. What the job is, the the job is fulfilling a function Mm. in society. It's to serve, right? You know, the jobs are there to serve people, to serve each other. That, that, that's a good idea. The thing is, is that now it's become a thing. It's like, well, people aren't doing jobs anymore because there's a role that they want to fulfill and give and, and be of value to society. Yeah. They're doing it because of the money. They're doing it because of the, of the status. They're doing it because of the things it will get them as opposed to like really loving the thing itself. Hmm. Right. I think this is where we have a lot, a huge disconnect from, from jobs, from work and what work is because underneath it all, it is a good thing, you know, to be of service, to contribute something to the world. But we have no sense of that anymore. It's all just like, it's like, well, how much does that pay? You know, what's that, what's that going to get you? You know, like, you know, it's like, oh, you get a job like that. It's like, well, you know, why aren't we talking like, why aren't we talking about the, the value of the work itself? Why aren't we getting connected to, to those? And why aren't we having those conversations mm-hmm. when, when, you know, young kids are starting to figure out or decide what direction they want to go into what kind of jobs they want to start doing? What do you want to contribute? What do you want to contribute? But instead you have people, it's just like, you're going to do that job. It's like, what is that pace? Like the pace, like top end that pays like $50,000 a year. Right. And it's just like, there's, and suddenly there's somebody who's placed this massive judgment upon you Mm -hmm. based out of, and, and it is, it's, it's a certain person who has a certain judgment because their value is solely on, on money and material. And we, the thing is that we have given these people all the, all of the power yeah. to, and, and in big ways and in little ways. And in this, like in this particular sort of example, I'm, I'm off on, you know, say somebody says they want to be like a teacher. They want, they want to, you know, be a teacher in a public school or something. They want to teach elementary high school or something, you know, there's only so far that like if financially, yeah, like there's a cap to that. Like you, you'll only ever make so much doing that. And somebody might say, what a stupid thing to do. Like yeah. you're like you're you, the, because to them, all they can see is the house that you'll never be able to, to live in is the car you'll never drive in is the, you know, it's like, there's all of these, all of this shit that, and it is, it's just shit 
that you won't be able to have most likely Mm -hmm. because of the career that you've chosen and no sense of value of the thing that you are actually giving and contributing. You know, what's really interesting in, and I'm sure a lot of artists, maybe there's, there's probably a few people, it's few people who probably know more than me, but a lot of artists aren't too up to date on economy and aren't up to date on, uh, the social dynamics of how the economic world has changed. Mm-hmm. What people don't realize is that 30 and 60 years ago, like, you know, those 30 years, um, and, 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 and whatever, like, you know, really since the 1900s, but like, it was really archaic early in the 1900s, but like from 1950 until about 1980, uh, or whatever, um, our like middle class was highly rewarded for having a job and the wealth that they had. The world was set up for that. Now here's what happened. And people, people forget this. And I forget this sometimes too, but when I remind myself that it makes things a lot really clear that a middle-class citizen now, meaning that you make a, a, a wealthy, moderate income is not, um, your money doesn't go as far anymore. Now here's what they did. Here's, here's, here's the political government corporate, uh, thing that happened. They basically sold everybody on the fact that like you can have the American dream by, you know, putting your work and having the consistent job. But what they did was they leveraged the system. And so now, um, the interest rate, the, the, the rate at which, um, things, cost has gone up so much more than what we actually make. Oh, the inflation, inflation, right? So now we have, we live in an inflated world. And what's really interesting is people really bought into it because it really worked for a period of time. And so now we have a society that's been sold on that. And this is the real problem is that people believe they should trust governments and they should trust corporations. Now, granted, there's some really great people in there, but for the most part, the system has been really bent and manipulated to leverage your belief system. So what happens is like, let me just kind of like, I learned a shitload about business over the last like five years. Like I'll tell you, I've I, like, n- nobody does as much research as I do. Like there's, I'm up there with the top people that do research yeah. on, on learning and trying to educate myself, figure this shit out but beyond just how to do good business. Like how does business work? What is the history of business? Like I didn't need a teacher or a guide. I just looked into this shit. Yeah. Started to learn, started to figure it out. Now in many ways, I believe you should be entrepreneurial now more than ever based on what I learned. And here's the reason why, because basically what happened now is when you take a client or a customer or someone who you want to get money from, you have to sell them on something they already want, or you have to sell them twice. You have to sell them on wanting it. So what you Mm. always want to do is avoid having to sell them on wanting it. You want them to already want it. And then you just sell them it because that's the easiest sale. If you have to sell them on wanting it, then you have, then you've sold them on wanting it. You still haven't made the sale. Now you have to sell them on buying your thing. Okay. So what happened in society, and this is how these, these government kind of corporations have worked they've sold us already on materialism and on the job and on all this shit. So now that we've already bought that, now it can get us to buy the next thing they want. So what happens is we've been caught in this, this loop gets so complicated. You go down the line. What happened is you were sold 10 times before you got to the place you're in. So 
what we're trying to do, and I, and I think the societal pressure thing is we have to literally undo like several beliefs that led up to where we are today, because those beliefs were bullshit and based on a different time, but we function as though they're real today. Yeah. So what ends up happening is how do you have someone like, I mean, in Vancouver, how do you have someone who makes a hundred thousand dollars a year, lives in a tiny little apartment like there's multi-million dollar houses. Like when, when I was a kid, right? I was like 12 years old, 12, 14 years old. We lived in a, uh, we lived in an 8,000 square foot house with three backyards. I had an entire like mini soccer field in my basement. You know, we had all the shit, right? This is not long ago. Yeah. Now in Vancouver, just like, and, and this is what's happening here to have, then that was a $2.5 million house. Now that's not much. I mean, there's many more expensive houses, but to live in a $2.5 million house today, it's like 300 square foot, 200 square foot, like, or two, sorry, 2000 yeah. square foot house. It's literally like, like a hat, like an eighth of the size. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That house you're in then is probably like the equivalent to like, yeah. like, uh, like a 6 million $7 million house. So now here's the thing. If that's really the case, right? You look at Vancouver. Okay. So people were making say $50,000 a year. Now you're making like, maybe, maybe you're making 80 if you're doing really well, you know, maybe you're making 30. Now here's the thing, the way it's been inflated, and this isn't just with property and houses. This is with all sorts of things. You, your job now can't even come close. So what's happened is you're getting paid, but people can't see it. This is how inflation works. They don't understand this. This is why I want, like, this is a really, like finance and money is a really important part of understanding societal pressure because now you start to look at, you go, well, okay, well for me to do the same thing that was done, I get way less. So they've sold us now on the mentality and now they can get us to buy less. So it's like, basically what happens is I have a chocolate bar. The chocolate bar costs a dollar but now you love chocolate bars and you expect chocolate bars are a dollar. But now I start selling you the chocolate bar for a dollar 25, a dollar 50, $2, but you don't make any more money really than you used to make, yeah. but it costs double. So now if you double everything, whatever you made should double, right? So what's happened with inflation is inflation's doubled, yeah. tripled, quadrupled, and our incomes have literally only doubled you know, or maybe that and a half. So now what happens is you start to, right. So now you, you look at now, now just look into the future. If you think it's going to (laughs) stop, it's only getting worse. So like, you know, and now we have kind of this whole materialism. We are on a materialism trend. I think one day people are going to look back and maybe this podcast will still be around and people will look back and go like, Hey, those guys were actually like pointing out some pretty good points here because like you're headed towards an iceberg but everybody's like, nah, it's just, you know, just full steam ahead. Just keep doing what we're doing. It's like, no, we're heading towards an iceberg. Doesn't everybody see the iceberg? Look, there's an iceberg. Yeah. But like someone's, someone on the ship has better eyes and says, there's an iceberg out there. And everyone's like, nah, there isn't. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's kind of like, and that's societal pressure in a way. Societal's like, nobody else can see it. So everybody's like, no, let's just keep doing what we're doing. We can't see it. So who cares? It's like, well, someone's paying attention and they're telling you, but you're like, no, basically, you know, and this is what happens, right? People go to doctors and they say, you got diabetes, you're going to die. 
you're going to go blind. This bad shit is going to happen to you. And they go, eh, I'll risk it. You know, I'll keep smoking. I'll keep eating the cheeseburger. I'll keep doing the thing. It's like, no, like there's an iceberg coming. You got to, you got to change direction right now today. Yeah. And I think this is the thing. This is where I've come to it in my life. Like at this point in my life, it's like, nope. I was just about to start heading down a direction and I was starting to feel that pressure. And I'm like, no, we got to change direction today. Things have to go the other way now. Cause like this path I'm getting caught up in here. It's leading to like my, my, my demise, you know? Yeah. And we got to do that. I think as artists, that's the thing. What we do is we bring to light a lot of the time unknowingly why society so fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> Which is sometimes why it's good when we get caught up in it. Mm-hmm you have an experience of it and you just like, and there's something about it that's just so unsettling. Yeah. You know, and you just go, ah, like what, what's like, holy shit, what do I do? And it challenges us. And, um, you know, and we can walk away from it with a new perspective on all of it and, uh, and, and greater resolve and with greater, even with, with, you know, a great deal of inspiration Absolutely. You know, moving forward to say, it's like, Oh, okay. Like this is why I'm doing what I'm doing and uh, why I'm not doing that. Have you ever, have you ever, let me ask you a question. Have you ever nearly gotten an accident, like a car accident or something and you missed it and you're like, Whew, that was close. Yes. I have been in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm sure a lot of people, you know, maybe it wasn't a car accident, but it was an accident. Like you almost did it. It was almost bad. The thing is, is that an almost bad isn't bad. That's the thing we got to remember. We could be headed towards an accident. It's like you catch yourself in the middle of it. You're like, holy shit, but you change and you don't No one, nothing happens. That's something to learn from, right? The thing is, is that even if we're careening out of control and we're like, shit, we're in trouble, we can still correct course. But if you go, ah, maybe it'll all work out. <laughs> like, that, like, that's the thing is like, I think we like, we live in a little bit of a world where it's like, um, we've become a little passive about our lives, you know? Mm. And we're not like, like, like we have that one episode. It wasn't too long ago. When you're out of, when you feel out of control, take the wheel, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. With Mike. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Take the wheel. I mean, at some point you got to be like, okay, you know what? This isn't going the way I want it to go. I got to turn the wheel. And sometimes it's just change, right? Yeah. And it's not even that where you, the direction you pointed in is the right direction, but it's a different direction. And sometimes that's, well, it's, it's better than the direction that you were heading. Exactly. Yeah. And we don't have to fix. And, and one thing I should remind myself of is I don't have to fix all of this overnight. Like I'm, I'm not saying that I'm on the perfect path. I want to make that very clear. I don't like, I'm, there is no perfect path. Right. Yeah. And so I just want to make that exist. clear. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm constantly uh, readjusting. Yeah. Yeah. I said, other than if you want to go into it, it's a crazy corner. It's like, other than if you see it as being like, it's all perfect. Right. Um, well, yeah, it's in many ways it is all perfect, but, um, I just want, I just want to make clear that I don't think like I'm on the right path and everybody should follow my path. No, my path is my path. Your path is yours. Everyone has their own and it's right for them. And really you just kind of got to you know, I think the thing we got to avoid is we got to stop making decisions out of fear and we got to stop, uh, having like denial run our life because, you know, I think those are the things that get you into trouble when you know you're in a bad situation, but you won't accept it. Yeah. That's what gets us into trouble. And the other thing that usually gets us into trouble is you're scared to do something that you really truly want to do. And you know, is important, you know, it's right. And you don't do it. Like basically just 
we should almost be counterintuitive. When you have fear, but you like something and you really wants it, go towards the fear. And when something's bad, don't say it's, Oh, it's, it's not so bad. No, it's bad. Like, just be like, this is not good. I need to do something about this right now. Cause like we need a, we need a low pain tolerance and, and a high, high tolerance for like excitement. So we need a low pain tolerance in that you should feel very little pain before you go. Something needs to change right now. And, and cause if you, if you're willing to feel too much pain, what'll happen is you'll get to the point where you have diabetes and you're about to die, you know, with your body, right? You'll basically, yeah. if your pain tolerance is too high, what'll happen is it's not, it's, it's not honorable. Like at that point, you're literally will bring yourself to your death because you're like, ah, I, you know, I can take it. Like, pain is a, is an awareness point. And it's good to be able to hang in there and take pain for vi- some things. But for the most part, we should have a low pain tolerance. The moment things come up that are like, wait, this isn't so good. We should really look at that immediately. And my other opinion is that the moment we experience fear, we should immediately change that into excitement and go towards it. And the more fear we have, the more excitement we should decide to have. Because I, I really truthfully believe that we don't really have a lot to be scared of anymore. Like when we were, when we were cavemen and cave women, we lived in the jungle or whatever. And there was like real animals that would eat us. And we didn't know if we went out to pick fruit that day, if we'd be coming back for sure. Or if someone did, they'd be coming back. We didn't know. But now most of us are going to leave our house today. We're going to come back. We're going to be fine. I mean, you know, granted maybe some third world countries, maybe it's a little more dangerous, but for the most part, you know, we're going to leave. We're going to be okay. So we don't really have fear to be scared of. Most of our fears are like, kind of like, well, what will people think of me? <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a fear. It's like, well, who gives a shit what they think of you? Go do it. You want to do it? Go do it. Right. I think one of the other things we kind of do, and I'm going off here, but I think one of the other things we do with this podcast is we try to bring some stuff to light and give people permission. Mm. It gives me permission. Every time we talk about it, I'm like, yeah, you know, like we need to kind of like, just take charge of our life and be like, it's okay. You want to do what you want to do. You know? but I think most of our fears come from society. I think that's how society, you know, that's how we got to rise above societal pressure is stop being scared of it. Stop being scared of what people think and stop being scared of fitting in. Yeah. Artists are notorious for not fitting in Mm -hmm. and every now and then they cause a revolution. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think of somebody like, uh, uh, you know, Jim Morrison. Oh yeah. You know, like the, the, lead singer of the doors back mm. in the day. It's just like, you know, like the guy was, I mean, I guess everybody, it's all subjective. People will disagree with me, but he's an icon. The doors as a band are iconic, but he was the front man. He really spearheaded that group. The things that he was doing, the things that he was saying, the way that he was in the world, some of it. Yeah. Like he ended up destroying himself by the end of it. But you know, that was a guy who, who wasn't afraid to create and wasn't afraid to, you know, stand behind what he did and put his full expression into the world. And it defied a lot of societal norms. He shocked a lot of people, but he ended up finding, uh, he ended up finding an audience. He ended up really touching a lot of people, you know, really resonating 
with a lot of people and they became the band that they became Hmm. as unusual and as defiant as they were. I mean, that was a lot of sort of rock and roll, the the birth of rock and roll. It was, it was defiance, Mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was, you know, you know, against the man, it was defiant, you know, (laughs) like it just said, it, it called a lot of things into question of the time. Um, and, and it was a, a major movement in art and then it becomes, it became a commodity and, you know, <laughs> well, I think that's what happens with but, art too, though. Like art does revolutionize and change the world, but what happens is then it becomes normalized and then it, you know, the art of it kind of gets, gets lost. And then people start to go, Oh, like, cause I think like artists have done this throughout history. They've kind of been like, they do something, someone comes up, steps up, really authentically owns something and people go, Oh, this is the way now. And so everybody starts getting on that bandwagon. And then, you know, we start getting on that bandwagon and we all start thinking we're creating art by copying the artist. And we don't see ourselves as copying, but we start going down this road. And at first it's kind of, there's all sorts of nuances in that medium, but then it all gets oversaturated and there's just, everybody's doing it. And now it just becomes what everybody does. And so then it becomes the safe choice and art, art needs to, in some ways challenge society. I used to have this thing that I did. Uh, well, I guess I still do it when I, when I taught movie making and I got all the movie makers in the course to try on this one exercise. And it's a really effective exercise. I got them to try on basically three hats, essentially. One hat is the child hat. The other hat is the teenager hat. And the other hat is the adult hat. So the child hat is unabandoned imagination and play and wonder and curiosity. And let's try this. Let's do this. Let's, you know, whatever, you know, there's not, not really a whole lot of responsibility in it. It's like, I almost need to be managed when I'm doing it. Yeah. It's like, I, I might get myself into trouble, but you go play, you go do what you want, try some things out. You know, everything's learning and curiosity anyway. So there's no mistakes you can make. It's all, you'll just figure it out. The next hat I get them to put on is the, um, adult hat. And the adult hat is the total opposite. The adult hat is be totally responsible, budget your film, figure out your shots, get that crew together, you know, organize, be prepared, be planned, just all the, take care of the details. And then after that, I get them to try in the next hat, which is the teenager hat. And I don't know if you know anything about teenagers, but they're very defiant. They just like, you tell them to do one thing, they do the opposite. And in many ways, now that you've done the child and you've done the adult, because we've done this, like if, if, if you are an adult today, you've done all of this. Yeah. So now go back to a teenager. How did it go? Someone says, do this. You go, no, I'm doing it this way. Like say no to stuff and do it your way. You know, just, just defy the way it's been done. It's just like an exercise of defiance and almost, you know, the other thing is I I label out a few things about teenagers, like be a little entitled, you know, go try entitlement out a little bit. Like, why can't I have it? You know, kind of thing. Like try it out. The thing is, is then when you marry the three hats and you figure out which one to kind of be in, what ends up happening is people end up creating art because they have the curiosity and wonder of a kid. They have the responsibility and, and ability to follow through as an adult, but then they get that kind of defiance, which gets them to not kind of like follow the pattern. So the defiant kind of helps them switch between the two a little bit, you know? Yeah. And so what ends up happening is you get this really great kind of 
stew of a, of an artist and it's just three hats and you go like, and, and, and basically what will end up happening is I go, what hat are you wearing right now? And they go, I'm wearing the child hat. Okay. Play. What are you curious about? What are you wondering about? Right now, if you're playing the adult hat, play the adult hat, be responsible, crack down on what's important. I think the problem is that we wear one hat far too much and we abandon the other two in life. Mm. And that's what gets us into trouble. Cause if you're all teenager hat and you're just defiant against everything, well, that's, I mean, that's not art. That's just, you're just defiant against what someone else did. I mean, that's not art anymore. Yeah. Like, um, but if you're all kid, you'll never get anything done. If you're all childlike, you'll never get anything fall through. Right. If you're all adult, you'll follow through, but you won't have any play and wonder and kind of openness. Yeah. So you kind of need the three. And I, I really like that exercise. I think it's a great way for people to kind of dabble in artistry, but still achieve things and get stuff done. But at the same time, kind of, you know, so anyway, it's an exercise that I kind of came up with. Yeah, no, I like yeah. it. Cause when I was, I went through all those processes as an artist, as a filmmaker. Yeah. And so what I tried to just do is, is I just try to remind myself to take off one hat and try on another and, you know, find that and like, go like, what is this moment best for? Like if I'm, you help me with this a lot with like writing scripts is not, is every time I feel I've come across a, cre- a cliche, I put on the teenager hat, I get defiant. Right. I defy the cliche. I'm like, let's go against the cliche. Like all is fair in love and war. Total cliche. I'm like, no, it isn't, (laughs) you know? And so whatever, challenge that belief, go against it, see what happens. Right. I mean, and then what's happened is a new idea pops out of it. So uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's a good practical skill. I can leave everyone. (laughs) No, I like it. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. Well, um, let's just take a moment here. And, uh, what do you, uh, what do you think about this beer today? I am enjoying it, sir. Um, this it's, it's really good. It's, uh, let me take a little taster of it. Yeah. 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 Take, take all the time you need. Um, okay. I think it's an India session ale and ISA. Uh, I'm thinking, hold on. That's what I'm going with. Um, it has a, it has a smooth, it has a little bit of hop to it. It has a nice smoothness to it. It's, I'm really like, I'm really enjoying it. Um, it's, it's an easy drink and it's, it's kind of like, uh, got a, almost a honeyness to it that I'm noticing. What, what I like about it is that it's got a lot of flavor, but it's light enough that like, it can be a hot day and I'm still enjoying it. Like sometimes with these more like uh, flavorful beers, I find like I want them more in the winter, you know? Yeah. And then I want kind of more, a, a lighter kind of less pronounced beer in the summer. Um, that's how I'm finding it. How, how, how's my, my assessment? You know, your assessment <laughs> is, while not entirely accurate, okay. is, uh, is, is still in the right ballpark. Okay. So here's, here's, here's the deal. So it's not an ISA, but I can see where you might think that this is an, actually an ESB. Oh, okay. Um, extra and it's special bitter. Yeah. Extra special bitter, um, from Strathcona brewing company. Uh, and this is not just a regular ESB, it's a rye ESB. So mm-hmm. they tend to be a little bit sort of sweeter, a little bit have that sort of that honey sort of quality. Yeah. I think that you're going for. So, and also the ESB, yeah, they do have a bit of the bitterness on it as well. So, uh, good call. You're, uh, you're, 
You're you're still pretty pretty damn close there, sir. I'm getting better at it. What's the difference between an ISA, an Indian Sessional, right? Indian Indian Sessional, yeah. Indian Sessional and an extra special bidder ESB. Well, I I couldn't I couldn't tell you exactly. Um, (laughs) Okay. No, I could. I really I really couldn't (laughs) tell you. (laughs) Well, you know that's that that's beyond my that's beyond my pay grade. (laughs) Uh, But you know, definitely like. It, that's that's like, it's been a nice little bonus of this podcast, getting like better taste buds for beer, and um, I don't know, just being able to enjoy it, enjoy uh, the nuances in in a new way. Yeah, and, and it's kind of there's something kind of rewarding about kind of knowing like by taste alone. It's like I almost imagine I'm not this good at, at being a musician, but I, musicians often they hear something and they just know. They know the sound. They know everything. They know the like. They just know because they have enough experience with it. Yeah. That always impressed me. Cause like, I'm sure one day if I keep listening, I will figure out like, Oh, that's this chord or that sound or whatever yeah. they're doing this. But like, I don't have the ear for that yet. Right. But like with, you know, and it would be, one day maybe that'll happen. Mm-hmm. But like with the beer, I never had the taste for it, but now I'm like, Oh, I kind of am starting to get an idea of it. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm like, as far as music like, I, I can't really I don't have an ear in the sense that I can listen to a piece of music and say like, Oh, that's that chord. Mm. You know, not necessarily every now and then I might have an idea, but it's like, I know some people who are like that. They're like, Oh, they just can listen to a song and they know the chords, they know. And that's, that's baffling to me. I can sit down and figure it out. Like if I have a guitar in my hands or if I stumble upon something, I'm like, Oh, this is like this song. And then I can sort of figure it out. Right. Um, I I'm, gotten good at like identifying things like certain effects, certain sounds. I can identify the type of guitar that's being played. I can do stuff like that. Wow. Neat. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I had a bet with my fiance. We were sitting in a, in a pub like, um, like a month and a half ago and we couldn't see, they had some live music playing. They had this, this guy in there playing some music and, and we couldn't see him. And, and I was listening to his playing. And I went, what is he playing? And I was trying to think of it. And then I went, I'm like, Oh, he's, and, and we ended up having a bet. I don't know why she took the bet, but <laughs> I was like, I think he's playing. I'm like, I think he's playing a Telecaster. Like, I think that's gotta be what he's playing. And she was like, all right, well let's bet on it. And so we had a, had a little bet and then came around. Sure enough, that's exactly what he was playing. And I was like, yes. How do you how, like, how, how do you know? Cause they have certain, different guitars have certain qualities and characteristics to their, Interesting. to their sound. And yeah, it's kind of a cool thing to just like hit a, hit a point where you start to recognize those things. Like, cause I'm like, yeah, I could recognize like the difference between somebody playing, like it starts off with like big basic stuff, right? It's like, you know, you can tell what kind of pickups are being played and, and then you can, I don't know. There's just characteristics about different models of guitar that you're just like, I know what that is. Mm. I know what instrument that is. Or yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Well, that's, that's doesn't happen overnight. No, of course not. But well, you know, um, you know how you apply yourself. I wanted to kind of come back to this, uh, this one other thing we were talking about in, um, yeah, yeah. Wrangle this one back in. I'm going to bring it back because it was a topic I, I had to shelf for a little bit cause we kind of went on to some other stuff, um, about money and societal pressure. I mean, I think we can all relate that money is a big part of our societal pressure and, 
status and whatever is also, but like the meaning of money, what is money to us? I was doing a, some work with one of my clients today and he's a excellent, excellent filmmaker, um, has, uh, interesting, interesting with him, his confidence. Um, you know, we, we all kind of have our thing, but something came up around money and we were looking at it and he just had no recognition for what he was doing and how, and what he was building. He just couldn't see that he was doing certain things that was like, don't you see how amazing this is? Like, this is incredible. But he was like, yeah, you know, I guess, I don't know. He's like, I just feel like I keep doing all this stuff and there's no results. I'm like, yeah, like, cause you're not like, there's no measurement for you. Like you don't accumulate, like you don't see how all your results are accumulating. Like I see them. I was like, I explained to him and he was like, Oh wow. He's like, yeah, dude, that's you, man. Like that's you. Oh wow. You know? Yeah. But you can't see it. So I got him to do this thing now, especially with money is to do this ledger where he writes out how much money, because he's doing this thing where he's going to make a feature. And so, um, you know, I help a lot of people with like doing their features and stuff like that. And, and like, as I've learned more business and learned more finance, I've been fortunate enough to kind of have some skills around that producing just does that to you, you know? Yes. But, um, I said, okay, well look, what you're going to do is you've already been doing it anyway. Cause he was doing a, he was doing a, a, a personalized, very personalized coaching package with me. He was paying a hundred bucks a week Yeah, and he was, you know, was helping him move along and he, you know, he did some great stuff with it. I said, well, that's over now. So what I want you to do, and the reason why I kind of did it this way and formulated it this way with you is I wanted you to build the discipline of putting a hundred dollars aside every week. Now I want you to take that hundred dollars and I want you to make a bank account and I want you to name it. We'll get to that in a second. I said, I want you to put a hundred dollars every week into that bank account. You pay yourself now because you already built the discipline. You already do it. I don't want you to start taking a hundred dollars and start pissing it away on beer and coffee and all this other crap. It's a hundred dollars for you. So we started talking about it. This is my point. I was telling you about how it would accumulate. I'm like, well, look at this. You're going to have 5,200 bucks at least at the end of the year by putting a hundred dollars away that, you know, you're just going to have that. It's going to be some money for you to, to make something with. Um, and he was like, Oh yeah. He's like, that's, that's pretty cool. I'm like, yeah, but you'll just have some money to, to make a move with. And I said, well, what is the, what is money to you? What is it? What is it? And he was kind of like humming and hawing. And I went, well, I'll, I'll tell you what money is to me. And this is what I've kind of come to in my life. And it is, I'm absolutely certain about this money is to me, freedom. And I look at money and I go, whenever I pay myself money, I'm buying freedom. I have freedom to do some of the things that I want to do. And I really, I treat the money like every dollar, every little bit I put aside is my freedom. So would I be willing to sell my freedom for a beer? Nope. Yeah. Would I be willing to sell a little freedom if it means that I get the chance to maybe make the film I want to make? Yeah, I'd consider that. If it means I get to do the class or the thing that I really want to do, okay, yeah, I consider that. Yeah. For for uh, uh you know, for a night out with friends having drinks, for, you know, buying a new pair of shoes, for my freedom? I'm going to have to think about that one. You know what I mean? Now I got a relationship to the money. This is the thing I've learned about money is we don't have a relationship to money. It it has not become personalized to us. Now he said, I do this thing. I do a jar system. I'm just going to 
it's a practical skill. I think artists should learn. Yeah. This will help you, um, rise above societal pressures because you need to pay yourself as an artist. It's important, but here's how I've done it. What I do is I put money aside in certain accounts. So I created about 12 accounts, you know, where do I get paid from acting? Where do I, that was one account. Where do I get paid from writing? There's one account. Where do I get paid from filmmaking? Where do I get paid from, uh, you know, my business? Where do I get paid from whatever, various other things? Cause I get paid from a few different streams. Yeah. And then I also have, do I owe any money? And I take a certain amount of money out of these accounts and I put it into that one. Um, I also have what I call, I call it my lifetime savings account. So I take 10% of every single dollar that ever comes in. I put it into my lifetime savings account. Then I take 5% of every dollar I make and I put it into my contingency reserve fund. Meaning that if I go over what I would normally spend on entertainment and life, I have 5% of my budget. Yeah. So just kind of give me a little buffer just in case shit happens. Yeah. Right? And then what ends up happening is if I take anything from the lifetime savings, I got to pay it back. Like it's like a debt, like a credit card I owe myself because the way I look at it is like, that's my freedom. And then I have another account, which is my big goal account. So I put money aside there and that helps me to save up to like do a big goal that I have in mind. Yeah. So what happens is now I've named all these accounts. Like if, if you were to ever see my bank, you would look and you would see every single account has a name, a very specific name and a meaning. Well, my, my clients banks were checking account, saving account one, saving account two, saving account three. And I said, do you know why this won't work? Cause what if you went to an audition and you were actor number two, as opposed to your name, how would you like that? Would you rather it be your name or would you rather be actor number two yeah. or actor number 37? What would you rather be? Right? So we need to, we need to create a relationship with our finances and what they right. mean to us. Cause this is the problem. I think what happens is the reason why we'll buy a pair of shoes is because the money that we're spending on the shoes has no relationship to us. Yeah. It's just like a, it's a number. Yeah. So who gives a shit? Figuring out that relationship and then identifying that relationship and then doing something as simple as labeling one of those savings accounts is yeah. for what it's for. Right. Cause that, cause when, when you do that, then it illustrates some sort of a value that you have as opposed to savings account three. Right. Um, and, and I you think can even call is... one of your accounts entertainment fund. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You can decide like how much money am I willing to put aside for entertainment? Yeah. And I think I, I it's, it's funny we're getting into this. I just read like this article. It was like, uh, it was like Kevin Bacon had done this article on like, Oh, well simple. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Well simple. Yeah. Had done this thing with like Kevin Bacon talking about, you know, keeping track of your money and the importance of that. And especially for artists too, because things that it's like, if, you learn to be smart with money. Uh, it gives you so much freedom, Hmm. uh, as you've been talking about here, but it's, it's such a valuable skill. And as much as artists, we in many ways bemoan money, like we're, you know, like we, some of us like to be like, Oh, like in a perfect world, you know, like we just like, we wouldn't have to, we'd just be able to create and there would be no money and blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that doesn't do much for helping us in the present moment. You know, we are in the time that we are in mm-hmm. things are the way that they are trying to, you know, just being pissy about it is like, isn't going to help the situation, but you can, there are actual things you can do to make it so it's not such an intrusive part of your life, Hmm. you know, and part of that is 
doing something like setting up simple financial, a simple financial plan. It's actually not that intimidating to do. It's, it always seems intimidating, Yeah. but like, honest to God, I'll just say this to artists right now. If you haven't done this, like go into your bank, you know, cause you probably have a bank <laughs> unless you keep all of your money under your mattress. <laughs> but if you have a bank guaranteed, they have somebody, you don't have to go to your bank necessarily, but it's probably the easiest step. And you go into your bank and you talk to somebody. It's usually free and they'll help set up some stuff for you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, usually people are really awesome about it too. Almost every single time. It's not like you think it's going to be like this scary thing that you're walking into and, and people are going to be judging you. It's like, no, not really. It's really like about getting things on track. And then it's not something that occupies space in your mind anymore. You know, it's like, it's just something you're like that, especially when you can set something up that you don't even have to think about. It's just like, it's just, this is how it works. This is how much goes in, you know, like with whatever comes in or every month or however you, you plan it. And then you can kind of just like shove it off to the side. Yeah. You know, you don't have to like be in this state of like concern about how that's all going to sort itself out. Right. You know, it's, it's funny because I mean, money gets used against artists so much. And the thing is, is I think artists become kind of defiant against their resource, you know, this, this money. And it's like, you know, we do live in a society where it gets used against you. Like, you know, the thing is, is it, what I do is I just have this discipline. This is my discipline because I do get paid like an artist. Um, it, it doesn't come in currently consistently. I'm setting up some systems where things will come in more consistently. I mean, there's a certain kind of money, I guess that comes in, but for the most part, things come in rather inconsistently. So my model as an artist is literally the richest man in Babylon technique, which is you just take 10% of every dollar, not like not don't forget about all the tax nonsense, all that other shit. You take 10% and you literally put it into the savings that does not get touched. It goes, it's, it's payment to me. It's, it's money that goes straight to me. And then the other thing as I would recommend is I think everybody should do this, this thing. If you do this one thing, I, and you do it consistently from now on for the next little while, you will thank me one day. You'll probably write me on the podcast and say, thanks Brandon. And read the richest man of Babylon as well as, as a book to read It's your homework. Yeah. But just take 10% of everything, put it into a personal savings account. That's payment to you Then take 5% of every dollar that comes in. And so that goes into your contingency reserve. Just start doing this all the time. It doesn't yeah. matter how much debt you have or whatever you have to pay back. Just start doing this. This is, you do this for the rest of your life. Now, this is your thing. It's like breathing. It's just not always happens. Yeah. And what'll happen is you'll have 85 cents left on every dollar. And I guarantee you will figure out how to make that work. Now, if you start getting confidence with it, you'll basically start to start thinking like the wealthy and you'll take another 15% and you'll start figuring out what you want to do with that extra 15% and you'll stop blowing it on shoes and coffee and drinks and purses and video games and shit. And you'll start looking at what you can leverage with the extra little money. But instead what you might do is you actually save up, you actually put together a little account that is just for 
stuff that you want to like, yeah, buy. Just like that's um, that was something that somebody also had told me is like you take, um, it was like you take one percent. Like if you want to like go for it, it's like you take one percent of everything that you take in and you put it into a little account. It's like this is just for me mm. to buy and to buy whatever the fuck I want. Yeah, I call that fuck you money. Yeah, yeah, fuck <laughs> you money. Why not? It's like it can do whatever I want with. Yeah, this. exactly. It's yeah. and and I think there's a value in that too. It's like it's a way of you saying it's like, okay, you know what? I honor the part of materialism that you know I have. You know, yeah. and like I, you give a place for just shit that you want, material stuff that you want. But it's one percent, right? Right. And everybody Which can kind do one percent. Everybody every- can do ten for sure. Yeah. And everybody can do 1%. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody can do 1%. Anybody can take a penny out of 100 and put it aside. Yeah. You know? And the thing is, you do that long enough. That's the thing we don't realize is these little bricks, like empires are built one brick at a time. Yeah. Totally. If it's built out of bricks, but you know, you have the idea. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But no, I think it's, it's, it, and it's sort of, it's one of those, because very much what this conversation is about is about money. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about material, we talk about consumption, we're talking about money. Um, <clears throat> a lot of society pressure comes down to money. It comes down, I think, to two things, really. It's probably status and money. I mean, really, <coughs> it comes down to those two things. I mean, yeah. that's, that's our biggest concern, probably. Yeah. And, <coughs> excuse me. And I think the thing is, is that it's learning about how to, how to deal with that. Hmm. How do we handle these societal pressures, which really have almost no business in art? Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't serve it in any way whatsoever. And if you're an artist, you're surrounded by a world and a culture and society that is obsessed with these things. <coughs> and as an artist, it's an extraordinarily amazing thing to learn. I'm going to be okay. I'm good. It's, it's good. Dying. Um, but I mean, it's when you can sort of learn about like the, the craziness of the obsession. Yeah. And, and see it all. And that, that's a part of the step in being able to create more fully and with greater expression. Uh, but the other side of it, no way. <laughs> oh man. Jeez. I just, I'm just getting over something and it's just, just like, Oh, just drink some more beer. Mm-hmm. That'll solve all your problems. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, there's still this element of, well, shit, I've still got to, I still got to function in the world that, that you're in. And by doing so, I'm glad that we actually got into this talk about just money and money management because it is a gift you can give yourself as an artist to do these simple things because it will help you just organize it, prioritize it, give it its space and then be done with it. Mm -hmm. Right? Like it's because there's no, there's no need to be the struggling, starving artist, you know, even if that means you are doing a job on the side. I mean, we had a great talk with, uh, with, uh, Chelsea, um, a few, few podcasts ago and 
she had, it was about giving yourself the time, right. As an artist. Mm. And one of the things that she said, cause she had taken a month off to do an artist in residence and she had to take time off of her work to do. And she did a month of just like, she got to write and she was worried about taking the time off from, from her job. And then after that month, she realized how valuable the time was to just create, but also realized how much she didn't need to work Mm -hmm. because at the end of it, she's like, yeah, I still need to go back to work. Like I still need to pay, pay some bills in my life, but I don't need to work five days a week. Like I was, she realized that like she can, she can live off of much less by, and by letting go and by being aware of the materialism and the limits of that, um, you can then make different choices in your own life. You can make choices to manage the money that you are making. So you don't have to worry about how you're going to pay for everything. You can find balance in your life and you can find more and more room to create more and more room to do your art until your art becomes the only thing that you do. Yeah. Right. I think that's a very realistic approach for most artists to, to be looking at. But we did, um, you know, I had, we'd done a workshop a little while ago, the mastery Mm -hmm. and one of the, the runners of the, of that weekend, uh, Linda Darlow, she said, you know, like one of the things that she just, she can't get over is all of these actors who are just like, yeah, this is really what I want to do and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, and they were, they're working some job. They're working like late into the night, which yeah, you know, you have your days to go and audition, but then you're going, you're blowing all the money. You get off of work and, and I've seen this happen. You know, it's like the actors who are living basically paycheck to paycheck and it's completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. You know, actors who are working, you know, usually in a service job, right? At a bar or a restaurant and they're, you know, walking out with like two, 300 bucks just in tips at night. And yet there's still no money at the end of the month. And it's because it's just like, it's all being blown on frivolous shit and they're yeah. not doing anything actually creative. You know, I think there's, um, so man, there's so much stuff that you opened up. Like you opened up another Pandora's box, dude. Oh shit. Um, but I want to say this when you're young and you're, you know, you're in your early twenties or your teens and you kind of get your own personal freedom. I think you should go out. You should have some experiences. Yeah. You should throw a little, throw a little abandon. But here's the thing. I just want people to drill this into your head. A hundred percent giving a hundred percent is actually only giving 85%. There is no hundred percent. It's 85%. And here's why, because always, no matter what now, look, I've run my heart to the point where I've literally, my legs gave out to me and I started crawling and I, this happened in soccer one game. I remember I ran, I was running with the ball. I was running so hard. I like ran across the field. And then when that happening was the ball got a little bit away. And as I fell and my legs literally just gave out to me at this point in the game, I started army crawling like unconsciously towards the ball. 
Yeah. I started like literally like, like I look like a paraplegic and my friends even noted that they were like, holy shit, you were committed. Right. And I couldn't catch the ball crawling, but I was crawling. Yeah. The thing is, it's like, I remember going, yeah, I wanted it so badly. I wanted the ball so badly. Like I just couldn't accept that my body was giving out on me. And the thing is, what I realized was that there was still something in the tank. Even when I was done, there was still something in the tank. Yeah. It was in my arms now. I like, if I could have, I probably would have crawled with my chin. I wanted it so badly. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing is like the richest man in Babylon, which I'm just pushing again, and we should make a reference yeah. to this book, but like the richest man in Babylon says, take 10% always and pay yourself. So a hundred percent is I say 90 or 85%. I want to say, and the reason why I say 85% is because 10% always goes to pay you 5% always goes to your contingency reserve. If you're 19 years old, 21 years old, whatever. And you want to go out, you want to have some experiences. You want to take all your money, go on a road trip, take 85% of it, take every dollar, except even you can maybe take 90, but I'm saying take 85%, take 15%, put 5% in contingency reserve, 10% that's for you for later. And then you take that 85% and you fucking go for it. Do it. Yeah. But don't take a hundred percent. Cause that, that is shooting you in the foot later. And honestly, that little 15% won't make that much of a difference. You'll figure it out. Yeah. So if, if I could give people advice from this moving forward, just, not because society tells you to take this percentage, just take this percentage. This is you. This is money that you paid you. And here's the thing. If you spend money, you never made money. If you spent money, you never made it. You never made it. Just get that in your head. I'm going to say it one more time. If you spend it, you never made it. It, Even if you get the thing in exchange for it, the thing about money is it's only what you have that you have. And we cheat ourselves out of reality. Now here's my next point. And this is the thing that I just want to finish this whole thing with, which is so important. Credit card is money you do not have. And it's only money you owe. So if I could give anybody any type of advice right now, if you can cut out credit card, if credit card is something you can use as a, as a tool that you pay back immediately, fine. It's a great little tool of leverage and like, you know, whatever, but don't, don't allow yourself to get onto that debt train. Cause this is where society pressure is right now. And you know, like, this is my bone to pick with the government and corporations and the way they're controlling people right now is they want everybody in debt. And, and you know, you might've heard me in other podcasts talk about this, but debt is slavery and that's how they control. So do everything you can to avoid debt. Now, if you're willing to take a long term, like I need this now because for example, it's going to pay off later. Like, don't put negative debt like on a car, but if you're going to put like, if it's education, that's my one exception where I'd say if it's a personal development education type of situation, you're going to put debt so you can develop yourself maybe because that no one can ever steal that personal growth you had. But really like my rule with personal growth has always been this. If I'm putting money into personal growth, I'm going everything in balls to the absolute wall. It's not like there's no holding back. There's no like maybe here. This is like, if I'm putting the money down, I'm doing it all out because I never want to look back and think I could have got more. So when it comes to, this is the thing about money and 
if you, if you want to like be hung by society pressure, if you want to be buried by it, go get yourself a bunch of credit cards and debt. And anybody who's been in debt with credit cards knows exactly what I'm talking about because it is the death of freedom. Yeah. So young people out there, this is my advice to you. Do not allow anybody to convince you that a credit card is a valuable option for material shit is the worst decision you'll ever make in your life. Cause now you're going to be a slave to those shoes you bought because you're going to have to pay that back and then interest. Oh, you start doing the math on that. You yeah. like, you're going to be angry at the fact that no one ever taught you properly about how that exists. Yeah. Cause it, it literally steals your freedom. So we live in a society though, right now where they want people to have negative debt because negative debt is the best way to control society. So you know what? That's my little rant on it. I'm going to give you that advice. Take it or leave it. Yeah. But it honestly, if there is anything I wish I learned when I got out of my parents' house at 17 and I started living on my own was that put 10 to 15% aside every dollar I ever made and do not have a credit card that I don't pay back in any longer than 30 days. Yeah. If I knew those two rules about finance, man, the things that could have opened up because I was a hundred percent into acting and filmmaking. I put every dollar I had, but I look back and I go, I could have done the same things at 85% of that. And I would have had more leverage to show for a little later in my life, but no one taught me money properly, you know? So I'm really like, you know, I'm really like passionate about that. I want young people and adults and older people to know what money, like how to start using money properly. Cause we live in a society. They don't want to teach us but in the education system. They don't want to teach us how to use money properly. And there's people who have a real good agenda for that. Yeah. Cause it creates control over you. Look, if you're your parents, right? Here's some of these kids are, you know, who are listening to us, they're 13 years old. Here's a little fun fact. If your parents, if you have money, if you can just leave, if you can go do what you want to do, they can't control you the same way. Yeah. That's why having money gives you a certain amount of freedom. You know, I was 16. One last story. I know I'm on a rant, but you're a little no, sick. No. So it gives me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. So I had a girlfriend. I was 16 years old. She lived in the States. She lived in a state away from me. She was like, you know, I had to cross the border. I had to drive like four or five hours to go see her. <clears throat> I was 16 years old. I wanted to go down want to go do this. Okay. Some people might say some parents might go, Oh, 16, you're too young. No, you know what? 16. I was, I had, I had my shit together in a lot of ways. I, you know, I wasn't perfect. I didn't know, but I knew what I wanted. I was passionate. It was clear. I wanted to go down and see her. Another little incident with my dad. I remember my dad said, and he did this a couple of times, but he's like, you know, he's like, he's like, I'll fucking disown you. You know, whatever. It's the first time it happened. I cried. I was upset. I said, yeah. why you don't really support whatever. But you know what? I looked at it and I'm like, well, if I listen to what he tells me right now, he'll control me for the rest of my life and I have the means to do it. So I went and, and this is by the way, at a time when we were living in a fucking trailer park, <laughs> but I was smart enough on my own accord to figure out the means to be able yeah. to do what I wanted. But I had the means and that was freedom. Cause I could say, no, you're not controlling me. I'm doing what I want to do. And you don't support it or do support it. Regardless, it's what I'm going to go do. And from that point on, there's always been this kind of, you know, every member in my family, I think can respect that about me that you could never really tell Brandon what to do. Yeah. And the thing is, is that I've learned through it. 
You know, money is this little thing that can give you a little bit of freedom where you, where someone can say no and you can say, fuck you. <laughs> That's freedom, you know, where you don't have to do what someone else wants you to do. Cause I think everybody who's listening here, is there a point in your life? I want everyone to stop for a second. I love doing these little exercises, but everyone stop for a second. Close your eyes. Just imagine a time where someone told you to do something and you didn't feel you had any other option. So you did it. That sucks. Yeah. I don't care where you were in your life. I don't care who you were. There was something you wanted. It was important to you and you didn't do it because someone had fucking leverage over you. Never again. You got to say that never. Tony Robbins does that. Never again. I'm like, you know what? I will live on the fucking street. Nobody is ever, ever going to control me. And this is this is the thing is this is the one thing you have as a human being. It's like you could put you in prison. They can physically control you. They can do whatever they want, but no one can ever control your spirit. And like, I just want to make a call to artists because this is kind of a call to myself too. Yeah. Is your spirit is a wild fucking animal and nobody can ever control it. They can beat you down. They can try to break your will and your spirit. Just don't let them do it. And you know what? Don't ever get yourself to the point where you're so pinned down by society that they will make you do things the way that they think it should be done. And this is like, you know, the art of rising up up against societal pressure. This is it. This is my, this is my caveat climax, like major moment here. You have a wild fucking spirit and nobody gets to tell you what to do except you. So set your life up so that you have ultimate leverage and no one ever has the, no one ever has the noose on you. Nobody ever has you chained. No one's ever holding you prisoner, right? Cause that's the worst thing in the world. I, I, I personally cannot imagine anything else. That to me is modern day slavery. Yeah. And, and slavery today doesn't happen physically the same. Like it happens in the mind. And that's, that's, I think what the artist struggle is you know, in fight club, they say, you know, our generation, we have no great depression. We have no great war. We have no great war. We have no great depression. Our war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. Yeah. It's a spiritual war. It's inside of you. The war isn't out there. We're not going off to, to, to shoot guns because all that shit, if you know enough about the way the world works is all bullshit. And the depression thing is our lives because we keep believing that we need all this material shit to fulfill our lives. And that makes us depressed because none of us can own the Ferrari and the mansion and all this stuff, but at least for the most part and do our art and have true love and all this other stuff. We have to give something up and that's the depression Yeah, because we're getting controlled. Right? So my, my, in many ways, what I'm saying is like free yourself of societal strengths a little bit and like take that ownership. That 15% is yours. 15% 15% to have your life, 15% to have your life. I think people are going to walk away from this conversation. They're going to start taking 15% of everything they do and they're going to start making it for them. And I hope you do. I hope I have enough passion and inspiration because I hope that there's a 17 year old version of me sitting on the other end of this listening and going, yeah, that fucking guy knows it yeah. and he's doing it or she's doing it. It's, it's a, the, this might weird some people out here but it actually reminds me of scripture scripture. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking biblical scripture. <laughs> um, no, cause there's, there's great wisdom there. Yeah. Yeah. Once you get absolutely. past all the stuff, sure. But the old J man, 
I remember yeah, he said this one thing to everybody because they were talking about this whole thing about like, because very much it was about society hmm. and what you're supposed to do and the people who were ruled over them and the spirit hmm. essentially, which is in many ways, there's a lot of parallels to what we're talking about here. The J man said <laughs> to everybody, he said, because it was about taxes yeah. and what was, what the people had to owe and to, you know, to Caesar. And he said, well, what's on the coin? Basically it's like, what, whose face is on the coin? And they said, it's Caesar's. And he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. So it's basically like we can kind of interpret that as just like give to society what is society's, whatever, just, just give it to them, whatever it's it. But don't basically the idea is like, but don't give it much more thought than that, Hmm. you know, and then give, and I think to reinterpret it for our conversation, give to yourself, give to your spirit, give to your own will, what is yours. Hmm. Give your own, give yourself your freedom, give yourself your, your time and your, and, and to, to create, give yourself the, the respect and the honor of what you do, mm-hmm. right? Which is beyond all the societal bullshit. It's way beyond it. So learn where you can give to society what, what belongs to them doesn't really matter the only reason it matters to you is your ability to function and basically have freedom in your life to do what you actually want to do. Well, so we can participate. Like, I mean, this society, I mean, the, the thing about society is not necessarily the problem either. Society is like just a team and we yeah. got to contribute to the team. That's, that's what we've all collectively we, kind yeah, of, we decided taxes and whatever. And you know, the thing is, it's fine. Okay. So you, you do your taxes, you do that, that goes to the society, the team, but like, what's your society of you inside, you know, and there's a certain tax in a sense for you and it's for your higher self in many ways yes. and from a money way. Yeah. And then, you know, um, time, time's another one. Take the same strategy. Just take 15 minutes or 15% of your day or 10% of your day and make that for you. Cause how much of your day is spent from your nine to five job or whatever other thing you do doing things for other people's like take some time. That's just and now you really be specific about it. It's from 6 PM until 7 PM is fucking Brandon time. You know yeah. what I mean? It's my time. And like anybody calls, my phone is off. My phone is off. I'm not answering any calls. I'm not answering emails. I'm not doing anything for anybody but me. Unless there is extenuous circumstance where there's an emergency. I am not available. This is for me. I'm doing me you know, and whatever that is. And for some people, it might be, I work for six days out of the week. And then on the seventh day, I take the day to me Yeah. or I take the day to God, or I take the day to whatever your thing is. I mean, I personally believe people who take the day for God really just take the day for themselves in truth, Yeah. but you can have your spiritual beliefs along with it, but like whatever. So do you, you know, and, and be unapologetic about it. And you know what, if you're with a partner that doesn't like that, get a new partner you don't, you're not with the right person. Yeah. Cause nobody owns you. Nobody gets, nobody ever gets all of you. That's the other thing too. People forget you always have 15% in reserve. Even if you try to tell everybody your life story, write it all down in the book, write everything down. Look, I already yeah. wrote this year. I've already written 700 pages. 
just on my own life. 700 pages of journaling. And that's just, that's just the journaling. Yeah. It's not even a fraction of how much I've lived. But that's the thing is like people don't realize is there always be something in reserve, you know, and, and, and honor that bit in reserve, honor that little secret you have, honor that little, not that you keep it a secret, but it's even a secret to you. You know, that little bit of mystery about you, you don't even know you haven't even uncovered yet. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm passionate about this thing too, because I feel like also just being that it's the point in my life, I'm being reminded of the, I'm being reminded of why I'm an artist and why I'm going down this road. Yeah. And I don't even think you have to be an artist. You could be an accountant. You could be a lawyer. It doesn't matter. All these same principles apply. Artistry isn't like making art as much as it is doing your life authentically to you. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. You know, and I think it's, um, are we wrapping this guy up here? Sure. We can wrap it up. Yeah. I mean, you got like final thoughts. Yeah. Just some final thoughts. I mean, it's like, yeah, it doesn't really, really matter what you do in your life. I mean, hopefully you love what you do. I think you should do it something in the realm of what you love. Um, but when people come up in your life and they, they challenge you in what you're doing, they challenge you in what you're passionate about and they, and they question you and they, you know, they're, they're really just putting their own shit on you, their own fears and concerns about whatever it is that you've chosen to do. And if you truly love it, you know, it might rattle you, it might shake you up, but what, what they're, they're actually really giving you a gift. You know, I think they, they really truly are giving you a gift to reconnect to what it is that you're doing, you know, to really consider what it is that you're doing, to consider what you would be giving up Hmm. and what you would be gaining. Um, because it, what, it can be an uncomfortable thing, especially when it comes from somebody's somebody close. This is where we all sort of started, you know, when somebody, especially as artists, you know, we're doing our things and we have pressure from, you know, parents, teachers, friends, billboards, ads, like just everywhere, fucking everywhere to be something that is like, everybody else to be something that is completely insane, you know, to buy into a system that is completely nuts. Uh, and you know, we can actually, you know, we, we have moments and we will, we will question and we will worry and we will say, geez, what have I, what have I done? Um, and it's a hard thing to have perspective from it when you're in that place, but really to see that it is a gift that is just going to, that can give you greater resolve, Hmm. greater clarity, greater passion for your art, because it can show you exactly why you're doing it in the first place. Hmm. You know, holy shit. That's right. That stuff is totally fucking bonkers. Hmm. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Right. So, um, in terms of my takeaway from all of this and this conversation, um, trying to apply this into my life is that, yeah, you know what? I'm going to see these, I I am going to remind myself that when I'm feeling this pressure from wherever it's coming to 
buy into buying <laughs> to buy into all of these pressures that what is happening is is a gift that is actually going to teach me something that is actually going to show me something that's going to give me a greater sense of myself hmm. and what I care about um, and and find a new way to to sort of welcome it into my life hmm. yeah to welcome to welcome these pressures you know I kind of already made my like call to action and all that stuff for everybody. For me, I think I'm really, I'm really on the same page with you about how these adversities in many ways have in, they've inspired me and made me a lot more passionate about what I am choosing to do. And really just, um, recently kind of confronting this whole materialistic like option of like, you know, buckling down, getting this kind of like very safe job and going down that road or not even a safe job, just doing something that like would make a lot of money, but not necessarily make, you know, give me a certain sense of fulfillment. And I think what I'm realizing is like, I'm just going to remind myself from this point on what my highest value is, which is freedom. And this conversation, I haven't been this lit up in a podcast for, for a while, but I'm lit up right now. I'm like the fire and the passion and desire in me is burning. And I'm like, this is it. I feel like I'm, I feel in line with my artistry right now. And I think for me, it's just like, maybe it's a little bit of defiance. Maybe it's a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a, you know, fuck society kind of thing a little bit, you know, like it's a little bit kind of like, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing it unapologetically and it's cause I want to, and I don't, I don't really care what anyone else thinks about it because it's what I want. And I think it's taken me a little bit of time to just own my self fulfilledness, my selfishness, my self desire my, my sense of me in this artistry. And I think the problem is for me with society, it's been this whole kind of thing of like, where do I fit? And I've never really been like everybody else. I've just always been an outsider. I was never really included in a lot of the groups in school. I was always kind of the outsider. And you know what? I like that because I like that there's something about me that just doesn't quite fit the cookie cutter mold. And I'm going to just own that shit moving forward. And I'm just going to run with it. That's really it. Not just, I'm going to fully do it. And, and, and I don't even know what that looks like yet, Evan. So I don't think I can necessarily say it's an intention. It's an intention. It's going to be, that's going to be my intention moving forward. That's what I got from this conversation. And I really, um, if I'm going to leave anybody with anything, I just hope that people will take some of these lessons, these practical skills that I pointed out around money. And I hope that you will read this book, the rich man of Babylon. And I hope that you start applying this principle of 10% or 15%. Really? I hope, I hope that people on the other line will really take that deep down to heart and start doing that. doesn't matter where you are. doesn't matter how much debt you have, whatever you just start doing that. It'll build confidence and then get fucking fiery about your life, you know, <laughs> cause life's short, yeah, man. man. Let's just do it. Right. Let's just fucking make this shit make the film. You want to make the film? You want to get into acting? Start today. Sign up for class. You know, just fucking do it. You know, that's the, that's what I'm walking away with this. 
and I feel good. This is what I've been looking for. I, 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 it's taken me a few years really to get kind of back into this kind of like I'm connected again, but it took my dad kind of almost confronting me a little bit with like, here's the alternative. Fuck the alternative. The alternative is not an option. It's okay for whoever wants to do that, but it's not okay for me. And I bet everybody out there has an alternative that is not okay. Stop taking the alternative. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. That's it. Offering up perceptions and practical advice since 1974. (laughs) (laughs) It has not been that long, but you know. I wasn't born in 1974. Me neither. Randomly threw it in. I like it. All right. Since I felt like to say like 2000 and something, it's like, that's not long enough. It's gotta be 19 something. And 74 is what came out. 1919. (laughs) All right, Pete. All right. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family, or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks. Thanks.